Welcome to the Empire Builders Podcast, teaching business owners the not-so-secret techniques that took famous businesses from mom-and-pop to major brands. Stephen Semple is a marketing consultant, story collector, and storyteller. I'm Stephen's sidekick and business partner, Dave Young. Before we get into today's episode, a word from our sponsor, which is, well, it's us. But we're highlighting ads we've written and produced for our clients. So here's one of those. I love basketball. I don't just mean, yay, let's go Bucks. I mean 6 a.m. workouts with my high school squad and practicing after school for hours, pushing myself to be better than my peers because I'm not what's considered basketball height. I love coming up with sneaky ways to get away from my defenders and putting that ball in the air and hearing the most amazing sound in the world. Nothing but net, baby. Unfortunately, in my junior year, I started having foot pain. Getting out of bed for a 6 a.m. workout sucked. It was like stepping on a piece of Lego. So my parents made me an appointment with a podiatrist. After just a few sessions, I started floating around the court. Felt six feet tall and no one could stop me. Well, except for number 14, he actually was six feet tall. Pain-free feet. My name is Dr. Milky and I'm a podiatrist. Pain is no way to start your day. Come see me at walkiefeet.com. Spell it however you like. Welcome back to the Empire Builders Podcast. Dave Young here along with Stephen Semple. And and Stephen whispered in my ear that we're going to talk about another beer today, Sam Adams. Sam Adams? Samuel Adams? Samuel Adams. I don't know the story. I I know I know that it was it, it, like it was a brand that wasn't in my vocabulary in my younger years, perhaps. And that, that might have been a geographical thing. I'm not sure. So so let's learn all about Samuel Adams beer. Yeah, so Samuel Adams beer is owned by the Boston Brewing Company. And it was actually the first brand for the Boston Brewing Company. And the Boston Brewing Company is now publicly traded and does a little over $2 billion in sales and has 2,000 employees. And it was started in 1984 by Jim Kosh. Okay. See, I graduated from college in 84, so it wasn't a college beer that I was drinking. See, there you go. That was probably part of the connection. Plus, it was a bit of a Plus, it was a little bit of a premium price. You might have been a cheap-ass student. Who knows? Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) In its first year, it's estimated they sold about 10,000 barrels of beer. And today, it's one of the largest craft brewers in the U.S. selling about a little over almost 4.5 million barrels of beer in 2020. You could say these guys blazed the trail into craft beer. Oh, no, they really were one of the early ones and really did very much lead the trail in in many ways. Look, there were other ones around. They were new to the whole craft beer area. And the thing that's interesting, what's unusual about this story, so many of our other stories were started by people who are outsiders. And in some ways, Jim was an insider because Jim grew up with beer. He's actually a sixth generation brewer from Cincinnati. His family grew up in beer. His history goes back to Johann Kosh, who in the mid 1800s started brewing beer when he immigrated to the United States from Germany, you know, back in the 1800s. And his great, great grandfather was also a brewer in St. Louis. And here's the funny thing about his great, great grandfather. One record I found states that Samuel Adams is that his great-great-grandfather was Samuel Adams, and that's the Sam Adams that inspired the name. And another spot I found that the inspiration is, you know, the Samuel Adams founding father, who also happened to be a brewer. So there seems to be a lot of confusion about where did the name 
come from. In addition, another record I found said that his great-great-grandfather's name was not Sam Samuel Adams, but Louis Koch. So who the heck, there seems to be some real confusion in terms of which records, but they all agree his great-great-grandfather brewed beer in St. Louis. <laughs> okay. And when we talk about St. Louis, there were a lot of brewers in St. Louis. If you remember, oh yeah, when we talked about Budweiser, you know, there was one brewery in St. Louis for every 600 people. So it was like a beer mecca. I was not able to come across the name of the brewery. That seems to be lost in history. But what we do know is that it was successful and well-liked in the German community. And then Jim's grandfather was also a brewmaster in Cincinnati for Hudpole Brewing Company, which at the time was one of the largest in the area. So it's kind of in their blood and kind of this whole idea of doing German style beer was kind of in their blood. So Jim okay. grew up brewing beer. He would often help his father brew beer in the basement. They kind of did that and you know gave beer away. But he also mm-hmm. went to the Technical University of Munich where he got a degree in brewing and fermentation science. Oh, I did not know that was a, a, an offering there. Yeah, yeah. But it makes sense that it would be. Yeah, he went off to Germany to learn how to brew beer and he worked for a number of breweries for a period of time. Then he attended Harvard where he got his MBA and following Harvard, he worked for the Boston Consulting Group where he did, he did a number of consulting gigs there. And while there, he discovered a loophole in U.S. tax law. And basically he founded a brewery in 1984 to take advantage of this provision, the excise code, which allowed small brewers to pay much lower taxes than large mm, brewers. Okay. But we also have to admit, beer brewing was in his blood. His family had done it. Great-grandfather, grandfather, dad went and took you know, a degree in brewing. And yes, then while working, he found this loophole and went, here's my opening to launch a brewery, right? And you got to start small anyway. That's right. That's right. Right. Nobody, nobody just sets out to be a big brewer on the opening day. Yeah, and it was this little <laughs> provision that very few businesses had taken advantage of and was really there to help a small business get a foothold in the industry. So when they launched Sam Adams, this tax loophole allowed them to be priced lower than other premium beers, still be priced at a premium, but priced lower than the premium beers that were being made by the large breweries. So in okay. 1985... Jim launches Sam Adams beer. He invests mm-hmm. 100K of his own money and he borrows some money from family and friends. He also gets some bank financing and he was able to lease a small brewery space in Boston. So he used a recipe that he had inherited from his great, great, great grandfather for Boston lager. So again, like the Sleeman story, where there's this yeah. old recipe that the family held on to, there's still this old recipe in the family that someone had held on to that he went, you know what? This is the beer I'm going to brew. Let's make that beer. Yeah. What people love with their beer, with their whiskey, with, with uh, any kind of uh, recreational uh, beverage, a good story. A good story. Yeah. So it was this traditional full body beer using this process called decoction mashing, which involves boiling a portion of the grains before brewing. Okay. Boiling it. Yeah. It was a very different process. And then the second beer they came up with was a light version of Samuel Adams. And then in 1995, 11 years after founding, they went public under the symbol Sam, raising $27 million. And at the time of the IPO, 
it was the most successful craft brewer in the United States with $70 million in sales. And they, they really paved the way for craft brewing. And the mm-hmm. first ad that they ran was a radio ad. I wasn't able to find the ad, but I was able to find some information about the ad. And it featured the history, you know, the history of beer and how their beer was different. Stay tuned. We're going to wrap up this story and tell you how to apply this lesson to your business right after this. Hey, Rick, how's it going? Okay, fine. That doesn't sound okay. Well, what is it? My business. What about it? You probably wouldn't understand. Hit me. Well, you know I love it. But? My revenues have flatlined and I'm not growing anymore. Okay. Well, it's frustrating and depressing and it was so much better when we were growing. Oh, I bet it was. And nothing I've tried has moved the needle. What about talking to Steven? Steven who? You know, the guy that hosts this podcast. Really? You think he could help? I hear he runs a paid-for-performance marketing agency. I wonder how that works. Why don't you ask him? How? Book one of those free starter sessions on the podcast website. I don't know. You can't say you've tried everything if you don't try this. You're right. I might even learn something. I bet you do. Thanks, man. Let's go grab a bite. Yeah, sounds good. Right after you call Steven. Okay, okay. Book your starter session on this podcast website. Just visit the Empire Builders Podcast dot com and click on get started let's pick up our story where we left off and trust me you haven't missed a thing again man so you tell that little story that's enough for me to say yeah i'll try it yes sure yes oh cool story i'll try it what's the cost of entry right i'm, I'm gonna go to my local bar and um they're gonna say yeah we've got that new beer on tap that that samuel adams stuff oh yeah i've heard the story yeah let me have one of those if i don't like it i'm not gonna have another one it's like in an earlier episode that we did on, you know, Sleeman's Ale, right? Which was a Canadian craft brewer. And, you know, what got them going was the whole idea of, again, the story, you know, the family story of, you know, being shut down by prohibition and the family originally pirates who became brewers and, you know, the recipe was lost and the family refound it. Like all of that stuff makes you go, oh, that's really cool. I, I should give that a try, you know? So we've seen that before you know that was back in you know episode 68 where we talked about Sleemans and that in that history although you know what's interesting is is that you could tell though from Jim's path he had been wanting to get into the beer business Mm. where John Mm -hmm. Sleeman had no desire to get in the beer business I think it's safe to say that Jim was looking for his opportunity then when he found this whole you know tax angle I think that's the thing that allowed him to go okay here's how I'm here's how I'm getting into it yeah. You don't travel to Germany and take fermentation science if you're not interested in eventually becoming a brewer, let's face it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Do you know what role channel marketing had to play in the success? Like like especially in 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 those first days, if you're going to put a radio ad out for a new product that's a beer, you need to be able to tell people where to get it, and how to get it, right? Is it on tap at your local pub is it in cans in the supermarkets in the liquor stores did did they have a distribution strategy as such it was very difficult to find information on what did they do at the time of launch in terms of distribution here's what i believe that they did and if somebody knows better i'm quite happy for them to to correct me on it absolutely is is that i believe that the early distribution was through local bars like on tap because that's the that makes sense and that's a traditional way that many of these get started because first of all it's easier to convince some local restaurants and bars to carry it 
it's an easier distribution model because you're not having the bottle and glass and have all mm -hmm. that. You're putting it in kegs. So that's the traditional approach it goes. Because today it's much, you know, there's there's a whole section when you go into stores today that is craft beer. Like, man, there's yeah. aisles of craft beer today. But oh. craft beer was not a thing in the in the 80s. Yeah. And it would be a challenge in the 80s because you 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 think about there were a few establishments that had large selections of, of beer and, and some even with large selections on tap. But man, your typical little place might maybe only had four taps. Correct. Yes. Right. Um, uh, a couple of one brand and a couple of another. Yeah. You didn't have, again, that whole thing where you went in and there was a whole slew of taps. So distribution yeah. definitely would have been a challenge. But here's also what he recognized. No matter what distribution method he was using, just getting it in taps or even just getting it into stores or just making the right product was not enough. He still had to advertise directly to consumers, which they did on radio to stimulate that demand. And don't forget, it has to be a good product. And it has to be a good product. Right. The bartenders have to like it. The yes. waiters have to like it. And, and then the patrons. And when you can tie a good story to it and then get people to taste it and they like it, you're off to the races. But the other thing that they did have working for them is, is it would have had a very different you know, flavor. So it definitely would have stood out in the marketplace. Like today, mm -hmm. to stand out in the craft beer business is significantly harder because there's so many, you know, like it's sort of one of those catch-22s. It was hard for them back then because there was no one in craft and they were paving the way. But when you start paving the way, you get that explosive growth, right? Because you're the one paving the way and you're different. Today, it's much harder because it's really hard to stand out in the craft beer space. And so if I have any memory of, of the early days where, where Sam Adams was showing up, it's that, yeah, people said, oh, they have Sam Adams. I'll have that because it's different. Correct. Yes. Right. It's like, oh, I've, I've had it. It's different. It's not like all the other stuff on tap. Yes. So I'll have one of those. And if you don't have it on tap, I'll have a bottle. Yes. It's the early push that would have been the big challenge for them, which again is why they used mass media advertising and created this story and, you know, and calling it a Boston lager would be kind of interesting, you know, when you're doing it in the Boston area. But what I found that was really interesting was, you know, Jim, you know, he really, he followed his passion. He followed his passion. Mm -hmm was in the family history. He got education on it. He then, you know, got a business degree, did some consulting, but you could tell from the way this laid out, he was waiting for his opportunity to, you know, get into the beer business. It was going to be that or some other way that it was going to happen, but he was really following his passion, but he be chose to become educated on it. It wasn't just yeah. dove in going, this is my family tradition. I have a passion on it. He really got educated in the industry. Mm -hmm. So if you have a passion, start learning more about it. Learn learn about what what makes it so interesting to you. What makes it interesting to other people? Yes. You may find a business opportunity at the end of that passion. And it may even be a business opportunity that was very different than what you were expecting, such as, oh, here's this loophole in the tax act. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool story. Let's raise a cold one to Samuel Adams next time we get together, Stephen. Absolutely. Because you know what? It's actually not a bad beer. <laughs> all right thanks a lot thanks david thanks for listening to the podcast please share us subscribe on your favorite podcast app and leave us a big fat juicy five-star rating and review and if you have any questions about this or any other podcast episode 
email to questions at the Empire Builders Podcast. Dot com.